Hey, this is Alan from Praise. So glad that you are checking out this message from our Sunday morning service. We're right in the middle of a series about the Holy Spirit. All we're doing is we're reading about how the Holy Spirit has moved in ages past in order to better understand how he might move today in unique ways where our world might be primed for him to move in our midst. We're calling it the Holy Spirit, rethinking the spirit of our age. Thank you again for checking it out. And I just believe that God's going to move uniquely in your life as a result. God bless. Next week, we will have, during the bumper video, a praise dance team led by our own Pastor Dylan Hartzog. Uh, so make sure if you get one of those shirts, you are on the team automatically. Mm. Praise the Lord. We are talking about the Holy Spirit. Um, along with that, we are rethinking the spirit of our age. And what we mean by that very simply is we are asking some questions of how has the Holy Spirit moved in ages before now? In other words, what are some areas today where the Holy Spirit, um, because of how he has worked in the past, that that space may be primed for him to do something incredible and new. And so we are rethinking the spirit of our age. As we just quickly read through different passages where the Holy Spirit has moved in the past. And so far we have talked about how just at a deep level, every single one of us, whether you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior or not, if you haven't, boy, I hope you would. I wish you would somewhere along the line just recognize your deep need for him and where you are without him and where he could call you to. And yet, if you aren't, that already the Holy Spirit, just by the fact that you are human, has been breathed into you. That's what we talked about several weeks back, just pulling from Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, where the Holy Spirit hovers over the chaos of creation and calls out of that order. In verse, chapter 2, verse 7, where it talks about the fact that the Spirit is breathed into us, that now we are in the image of God himself as a result. Acts chapter 17, verse 25 and 28, which talk about the fact that in him we live and breathe and have our being, that everything is from him, that the Holy Spirit is deeply encoded within humanity, that this is the image of God inside of us. And as a result then, when he speaks, boy, we come alive. The spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet, but at the same time, there's just this response that happens inside of us when we sense the Holy Spirit speaking to us. And then we talked about two weeks ago how um, that works out in reality, pulling from Genesis chapter 41, where uh, it's Joseph there, and it says very clearly that the Holy Spirit gives us intelligence. It also says that in Job. 32 verse 8, where it says that our intelligence is a direct result of that image of God inside of us. You think, you hear what I say and put it into thought within your own brain because of the Holy Spirit. Your intelligence is a direct result of the image of God in you by the Holy Spirit. And then last week, which was an incredible service, just absolute fire, so good. We talked about how that works out with some of those other images uh, or, or ways in which the image of God is reflected in us. Biggest one we talked about last week is creativity. 
That just as our God is a creator God, that that is reflected in us because of the Holy Spirit through creativity. We pulled from Exodus chapter 31 and Exodus chapter 35 in order to kind of point that out. But then I I took a step further. And you may not agree with me on this. I, I see some support for it. But I would say any gift that you have that is a reflection of who God is, is a result of the Holy Spirit's working inside of you. Natural giftings I'm talking about. Those things that you recognize at a young age. If that is in any way something that is resembling of God, that that is the Holy Spirit inside of you that has given that gift to you. So that's where we've been. And today we're going to take it a step further. And just so far, all we've been doing is reading every time the Holy Spirit shows up in Scripture. And we jump from one to the next to the next. And that's why we started in Genesis 1, 2, 2, 7. Then we went to Genesis 41, then to Exodus chapter 35. And this week we are going to be in Numbers chapter 11. This is just the very next occasion of the Holy Spirit where it shows the Holy Spirit working, where it says he is working. And so we're going to turn to Numbers chapter 11. Now today things go from like the natural ways in which the Holy Spirit is at work within all humanity to the unique ways that he can be in work, at work, in, in one person in particular. And it does get a little weird, okay? So if you're the type of person who's always kind of been weirded out by the Holy Spirit, that's okay. I have a t-shirt for you. It says, keep Christianity weird. <laughs> it is okay. Because if we are just exactly like everybody else around us, And boy, we might have to ask, where is the Holy Spirit? And it's okay for us to be weird. It's okay for us to be a little different. Numbers chapter 11, this is, uh, things start speeding up, right? I've already mentioned that, that there's a bigger gap and then a smaller gap between the next time it mentions the Holy Spirit and then even smaller gaps. Between Exodus chapter 35 and Numbers chapter 11, there's like a year, okay? And then the Holy Spirit shows up again in Numbers chapter 11. Last week we were talking about when God was having the people of Israel build the tent, the tent of meeting, the place where God would meet with man. And as he's doing that, then or right after that, they pack the tent up and they head out. Okay, and that's where we're going to pick up. The people are traveling through the wilderness, having built the tent. And there, as they're traveling, the people, God has been providing supernaturally for them by giving them manna, and they are tired of eating manna. And so they start to whine and complain And Moses hears them whining and complaining, which is where we're going to pick up. They just said, hey, we miss the cucumbers and the meat and the garlic of Egypt. And even the leeks and onions too, the melons, all the good stuff. And Moses hears them. In Numbers chapter 11, verse 10 is where we're going to pick up. And actually, I think it might be verse 11 that's on there, but I'm going to start in verse 10. Moses heard all the families standing in the doorways of their tents whining. And the Lord became extremely angry. And Moses was also very aggravated. And Moses said to the Lord, Why are you treating me, your servant, so harshly? Have mercy on me. What did I do to deserve the burden of all these people? Did I give birth to them? Did I bring them into the world? Why did you tell me to carry them in my arms like a mother carries a nursing baby? How can I carry them to the land you swore to give their ancestors? Where am I supposed to get meat for all these people? They keep whining to me, saying, give us meat to eat. I can't carry all these people by myself. The load is far too heavy. If this is how you intend to treat me, just go ahead and kill me. 
do me a favor and spare me this misery. How many of you have ever prayed a prayer like that? Thank you for being honest. The rest of you really need, okay, I don't know that I've ever quite prayed this prayer. But boy, I have prayed some prayers before where I could totally associate with what Moses is saying here. Leadership is hard. Leading people is hard. And praise is an incredible church, and I am so thankful for it. I believe, truly, I've said this before, I, I will say it again, that I believe that praise is the type of church that it is as a result of the pastoring of Pastor Burris and Pastor Fent. That this is a church that follows leadership. That as the direction is set, people get on board and become a part. And I believe that is the direct result of the nurturing of the pastors who have gone before. I've said it, I've said it, and I'll say it again. That is the case. Okay? But there are times where even with leading great people, making decisions is hard. Because every time you make a decision, you know that there is... There are people who are impacted by every decision, and ultimately the buck stops here. And so as you're making decision after decision, that's been proven to be a draining thing. But when you're in leadership and making decisions, and you know, man, this is just one of those things that maybe not everybody's going to be on board with, that there are moments where you just get tired of doing it over and over and over again. And then on top of that, sometimes it can just be difficult to lead people. Moses is just miserable here. And he's like, God, just kill me now. And like, I love this about the scripture is that there's no airbrushing here. Like Moses in all of his misery and foolishness and all of that is just like, here's what he says. He says, what did I do to deserve this? What did I do to deserve the burden of all these people? Did I give birth to them? Did I, did I um, uh, bring them into the world? Why did you tell me to carry them in my arms like a mother carries a nursing baby? How can I carry them to the land you swore to give to their ancestors? In other words, he's saying, God, you made a promise and you're making me do it, right? You promised you were going to let bring them to their ancestors, and now, now I'm the one who actually has to do the thing. And he's like, why? I didn't give birth to these people. Why do I have to do this? Now, here's what's really interesting. I have looked all the way back to Exodus chapter 1 to find the place where God told Moses to carry his people into the promised land. I have searched every verse between Exodus 1-1 and Numbers 11 to find the place where God tells Moses to carry these people like a mother carries a nursing baby. And I just plain cannot find it. It is not in there. The closest I can find is all of the promises God makes to be the one who carries the people into the promised land. Now, with that said, just setting this up, because we, this is going somewhere, but this is just the beginning. Moses here is in some way carrying a burden that we cannot find the verse where God tells Moses to do this. Now, he may have told him, and it is not included in Scripture, but we can't find it. 
Okay, so just that as a setup. So verse 16, here is Moses's or God's response to Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, gather before me 70 men who are recognized as elders and leaders of Israel. Bring them to the tabernacle to stand there with you. So this isn't the first time something like this happens. If you go back to Exodus chapter 18, there's also 70 leaders there. And at that time, it was Jethro who comes to Moses and says, hey, man, you're a really bad leader. And Moses is like, what do you mean? He goes, well, you're, you're doing everything, and you're not trusting other leaders to do stuff too, and you need to delegate better. And so he says, take 70 leaders, and then you, you are judges, and you put them in charge of making decisions, and then you just make the really big decisions. And you can tell them how you want things done, but then you trust them to actually do the work. And, and, and then Moses says, oh, wow, that's a really good idea. Let's write a book. And, um, and, and then things start working better. But at this point, this is not about leaders. Okay, because already there are leaders. Back up to chapter 14. Go to, or sorry, Numbers chapter 10, verse 13. Here's as they're setting out. So this is them leaving after they have built the tent of meeting. When the people set out for the first time, following the instructions the Lord had given through Moses, Judah's troops led the way. And they marched behind their banner, and their leader was Nashon, son of Amminadab. So you got a leader over the Judah, over the tribe of Judah. And they were joined by the troops of the tribe of Issachar, led by Nethanel, son of Zuar, and the troops of the tribe of Zebulun, led by Eliab, son of Helon. And then the tabernacle was taken down, and the Gershonite and the Merarite divisions of the Levites were next in the line of the march, carrying the tabernacle with them. Reuben's troops went next, marching behind their banner, and their leader was Elizer, son of Shadur. And they were joined by the troops of the tribe of Simeon, led by Shalumiel, son of Zerushadai, and the troops of the tribe of Gad, led by Eliseath, son of Deuel. Next came the Kohathite division of the Levites, carrying the sacred objects from the tabernacle. Before they arrived at the next camp, the tabernacle would already be set up at its new location. Are you getting that there's already a ton of leaders, that things are operating smoothly, that they set it up and then tear it down? And Moses, as far as I can tell, isn't actually carrying anything. That in reality, the Kohathites are doing some carrying. And the Gershonites are doing some carrying. They're, they're, these others are the ones who are carrying the tabernacle. And the Gershonites and the Merorites are carrying the curtains. And then the, the Kohathites are carrying all the important stuff from inside the temple. They're doing all of this leadership, and they're doing all of the carrying themselves. Moses here, though, is talking about something else. And God, when he responds to Moses, recognizes that Moses is talking about something else. And so he says, from the leaders that are already established, here's what I want you to do. Take 70 of those leaders and bring them to the tent of meeting, and here's what I'll do. I will come down and talk to you there, and I will take some of the spirit that is upon you, and I will put the spirit upon them also. They will bear the burden of the people along with you so that you will not have to carry it alone. This is the first time that it actually says that the spirit was on Moses. Until now, we didn't actually know that. Until this moment, I mean, obviously it was clear. There's no way that Moses could have done what he was doing without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. But it never actually says that. 
And I think often it is implied that the Holy Spirit's doing something without clearly declaring it. But here in Moses' case, it doesn't actually say the Spirit was on him until right here. But then God's solution is to take the Holy Spirit from Moses and to spread that and put it on other people as well. So Moses is feeling weighed down. He's feeling burned out. And God's solution is to take that spirit and put it on other people. Now, wait a second. Doesn't that seem counterintuitive? Like, wouldn't you expect that he would give more of his spirit to Moses? Right? Like, if he's, if he's not got what it takes and he's tired, shouldn't God pour out more of his spirit on Moses so that he would have more power to actually do the stuff that Moses needs to do? That's what I would think. That would be the most natural kind of response, knowing that the Holy Spirit is doing this. And so what I take from this is this, that the Holy Spirit carries a heavy load. That the Holy Spirit carries a heavy load. So as a result, as the Holy Spirit rests upon us, and that's the word that this passage is going to use, that often we will sense and know a burden. Okay? Hear that. So when the Holy Spirit is moving in our lives, that often, along with the Holy Spirit, will come some sort of burden. And I think we know this inherently. Every parent in here knows about the burden of raising children. You feel it already. You don't need the pastor to get up and say, hey man, you should really feel a certain amount of burden for leading your family. You know what it's like to pray over your kids. And you know what it's like when you send them off to school knowing some of the things they're going to hear that day. Or knowing some of the things that are going to start chipping away at their hearts throughout the day. You know that moment when you drop them off in the parking lot or send them off on the school bus. You know some of the things that they face. Grandparents, you know the burden of grandkids who are not being raised in church. You don't need the pastor to tell you about that type of a burden. That along with the Holy Spirit, you can feel the weight of those around you. You can see and know what that's like. For us today, you can feel the weight of what are my kids going to face in their lifetimes, right? You know the weight of my child is a beautiful child, and you know the weight of the sexuality and the hormone changes and all the things that come along with that and the pressures that they are going to face all around them. You know that. You feel it already. You know the weight if your child is far from God. You feel that already. And guess what? That's not bad. The Holy Spirit comes with a burden. And recognizing that and shouldering up to that, knowing what a burden is like, is not a bad thing. If you feel no burdens, I wonder if you feel love. I'm just saying that along with love comes a deep understanding of the cost of love. And seeing and recognizing that in your kids and in your grandkids, there is a burden that comes by the Holy Spirit. 
So the Holy Spirit carries a heavy load. And so with the Holy Spirit, I believe there should be a holy and healthy burden. But there is a difference between a burden and something being burdensome. That there is a difference, and it is how we carry it. It is not the load that breaks you down. It is the way that you carry it. Right? We all have stuff to do. We have to take a test. We have to write a sermon. We have to do a job. You have to. And normally, there's enough stress in the thing itself. But then we add to it sometimes by fretting or stressing beyond that. The pressure that we put on ourselves often is more heavy than the work itself. You know, sometimes the way to say it is it's not the work, it's the work behind the work. Right? Like, even in different types of burdens, pains and sickness and tragedies, often that's enough of a burden in itself. But it's like on top of that, we layer something else. We put on it... Maybe what will other people think of me as I'm going through this? How will the church see me? How will my family think about me? And we layer on top of that. Here's the thing about Moses. Moses is not their mother. He is certainly not their nursemaid. That is not his job. He is not their source. But somewhere along the line, he has layered on top of what he has been called to additional work on top of that. So too often, if the work is is not the problem, the work is not the problem, too often it is the work behind the work. Here, let me give you a couple of things. So back to that sickness idea. Sickness is a heavy weight, but often it is the resentment we feel for the sickness that gets real heavy. And resentment makes every burden heavier. Why did you do this to me, oh God? Why me, God? That is a much heavier burden than, God, how are we going to get through this? Is a much heavier burden when you layer resentment on top of things. It adds to every load. It amplifies every question. It magnifies every slight. We make every burden heavier by adding to it resentment. But that's not the only way. Sometimes we confuse work and worth, and that makes the burden unbearable. We confuse worth and work. It's a deep truth that I think we need to teach our kids, because here's how it starts. It's all so subtle, right? You get success, and you think, well, I'm successful. Someone gives you praise, and you think, well, I am praiseworthy. But then you have some way in which you fail. And the only inevitable conclusion then is, I am a failure. If you confuse work and worth, what happens is you add this extra weight to everything that you do, and there is no way you will go through life without failing. And so if you layer on top of it, or if you take something from your work that it is not intended to give in regards to your identity, then you start layering extra things on top of it. And you're not just doing the work anymore. You're doing the work, plus you're worried what people are going to think about the work that you do. And you, you start doing the work behind the work. And you're taking on heavy loads that you were not intended to carry. Do you think it's remarkable that the answer to Moses' cry 
was to make Moses less special. Look at it. He's like, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to remove your exclusivity as the Holy Spirit leader of these people. And that, in some way, he says, will relieve your pressure. See, sometimes we're doing more than just the work. We are doing the work beyond the work. And see, sometimes when we read that what, what's actually being said here for Moses is we misunderstood the word that's used. The word that is the word for I will take from the Holy Spirit that is on you is not like a, a take from the Holy Spirit, like I'm going to remove it and I'm going to divide it up. But instead, it's, it's much more like the, the, the taking of the Holy Spirit that you would say, like, let's say a flame. Yeah, that's a good match. And you take that, and you give it to him. And you take that, and you give it to him. And you take that, and you give it to him. And you take that and you give it to him. And you take that, and you give it to him. And you take that, and you give it to him. Moses is still burning. That has not changed. But now there are other people burning too. And here's our problem. When we misunderstand what God has called us to do. God called Moses to burn. That's it. And God said, it is my job to light the room. And if Moses misunderstands that, he will burn out. Because he is working too hard to light the room and not hard enough to just burn. Let's go back to the passage here. So he takes from that spirit and pours it out on everybody else too. Pours it out on all these other people, 70 of them. And, and at this point, just so you know, he, he also decides to send so many birds for the people to eat that it literally comes out their nose, which is both terrifying and hilarious. And so we're going to skip that part because I'm not going to deal with that today. And we'll just go to the moment when God does what he says he will do. Verse 24. So Moses went out, and he reported the Lord's words to the people. And he gathered the 70 elders, and he stationed them around the tabernacle. And the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to Moses. And then he gave the 70 elders the same spirit that was upon Moses. And when the spirit rested upon them, they prophesied. But this never happened again. Okay, what? So the Holy Spirit, in a new way, begins to move. Not just on Moses, but on all 70 of these people who are all gathered together in the tent of meeting in that court there. And as they're gathered, they begin to prophesy to one another. The weird thing is, the word that's used for prophesy here or the way that it's used, the form that it's in, is actually only used in a few other places. It's used in 1 Samuel chapter 19 when it says that Saul sends some of his troops to go and take Samuel. 
and they come up on him, and all of a sudden they start prophesying. <laughs> it's like they have no control. They just start prophesying. It's the same word. And then Saul himself comes, and then Saul starts prophesying. Um, and then it's used in, in 1 Kings, where it, in chapter 18, where it talks about the prophets of Baal. It's used for the prophets of Baal for the frenzy and the raving that they are going through in order to get fire to come from heaven, and there is no response. There are many people who believe, and I'm not sure if I'm one of them, but there are many people who believe that this is actually an ecstatic yet unintelligible prophesying. Now, step back and think about this again. All these leaders are together in one place. Nobody else is benefiting from it. And they're all prophesying to each other because the Holy Spirit comes down and just begins to just fill them. And then they never do it again. Well, what's the point? What's happening here? The only thing I can think of is that it is saying something to Moses. That Moses would see this. Maybe they would see it themselves. And they would have some form of, I don't know, evidence? Or some form of, I don't know, just proof for when the enemy comes at them afterwards. Where he would say, no, 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 no. I have poured out my spirit on these leaders in particular. Okay? Last Sunday evening, I was, I was just, during service, the youth were having the back-to-school bash, which was awesome. Whoop, whoop. And, uh, and I was just, the board and I have been praying about some things in particular, and during service, I was talking to Kevin King, who's on the board, and I was just sharing with him, I want to, cool guys. I mean, he's a pretty cool guy. Cool guy. Anyways, uh, so Kevin and I were talking about stuff, and I said we were all the same things we've been praying for and trusting God with at praise, and you know, we were talking. We said, you know, ultimately this is in God's hands, and we're going to continue to pray for it, and we're going to just continue to seek God in the middle of it. And you know, what Kevin said, which was so interesting, and it was spot on, he said, Alan, you need to know that you're not carrying this alone. Which I knew. I was like, shut up, dude. Like, I know that already. I don't need you to tell me that. Um, obviously, the Lord is carrying. The Holy Spirit is carrying. But Kevin was talking about, on top of that, the board. And he said, you know, we're with you in this. And we're praying with you in this. And we're carrying this together with you. And that is exactly what this is talking about. Now, I'm not sure I would have handled this the way God handled it. If I look at this and Moses comes up to me, or if I'm God and I'm standing in front and Moses is there and he says, just kill me now, God. Like, I mean, I probably would have been tempted. Like, okay, cool. Yeah, I mean, you asked for it. <laughs> Asking you shall receive. You know, but, but even like, Moses and God talked a lot. And don't you think I would sit across from Moses and go, 
Moses, I never asked you to do those things. You are doing something that I did not ask you to do. And yet that's not the way that God responds, knowing that Moses may be carrying things. Now, some of it, I am sure, is the burden of the Holy Spirit, right? That's, that's what we started with. But then he's working beyond the work, and he's taking on things that were not for Moses to take on. But in this moment, God doesn't do that. Instead, what he does is he's like, I'm just going to go ahead and pour out my spirit on all those 70 people. Okay, but not even just those 70 people. Check it out. It continues. Verse 26. Two men, Eldad and Medad, had stayed behind in the camp. They were listed among the elders, but they had not gone out to the tabernacle. Yet the Holy Spirit, the Spirit, rested upon them as well, and they prophesied there in the camp. So there's these two guys who are in the camp, and who knows, maybe they hadn't been selected as part of the, you know, Big 70, like, or whatever. Maybe they weren't, like, make the cut. You know, maybe they didn't have a brother who had a brother or something like that. Like, so these guys weren't in it. Or maybe they just missed the train, like, out to the tent of meeting. And so they were just like, well, I guess we missed it. But you got these two guys, El Dead and Me Dead. We should call them the two dads. I bet you they liked popsicles. That was a dad joke. Uh, when is a dad joke a dad joke? When it becomes apparent. <laughs> okay, so these two dads aren't in the right place at the right time, or maybe they weren't cut, didn't make the cut. But here's the thing. It wasn't about what Moses said or anybody else said. This is about what God wanted to do. So it doesn't matter where they are. God's pouring out his spirit. He pours it out on El Dad and me dad as well. And so they're in the, in the, um, in the camp. Verse 27. A young man ran and reported to Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. The two dads are prophesying, which is a huge faux. Faux pas? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right, cool. So this young guy goes, takes off, runs to go tell Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Joshua, son of Nun, who had been Moses' assistant since his youth, protested, Moses, my master, make them stop. When you're young, it's all a competition, isn't it? Right? Then you get a few years on you, and you realize there's really nobody to compete with. That ultimately, when God's doing something, we all just want to receive what he has. But these guys, at least, and... Joshua, at least, are like, hey, stop him, stop him. Moses says, are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them all. He says, I wish. I wish every single person in the camp would have his spirit. I wish that they'd all prophesy to one another. So again, if I were God, I probably in that moment would have said, Moses, this isn't for you to carry. But God doesn't do that. Instead, he takes his spirit and he pours it out on a bunch of people. And I think from this story, I have a few thoughts. 
my thoughts. Number one, it is right and good to feel burdens by the Holy Spirit. It is right and good to feel burdens by the Holy Spirit. It is right and good for you to feel the weight of your kids and the weight of your grandkids. It is right and good to feel the weight of those who God has put in your circle. It is right and good to feel that burden. It is right and good for you to feel a burden for your church because the Holy Spirit feels a burden for your church. That's right and good. But here, the answer is that God would not remove his spirit from Moses, but that he would give more of his spirit to everybody else. He says to Moses, you don't have to play hero ball anymore. You don't have to score all the points. You can get some of the assists too. And then he gives Moses proof that he has done what he said he would do. So Moses can see it. Oh, God's poured out his spirit on them. So I would say it is right and good to feel burdens by the Holy Spirit. I would also say it is right and good to expect and to trust God to carry more than you. You know, Gen Z feels a burden. This is what every study shows, that the generation that is rising up now, it's interesting because when millennials came along, the generation that went before, man, had lots of, lots of trash to say about millennials, okay? But the millennials started entering the workforce and that generation that came before kept saying over them, oh man, they all got participation trophies growing up. They don't, they've gotten everything handed to them. But they never stopped and asked, who made the participation trophies? Who gave them out? And with Gen Z, what we're seeing is that there's this deep burden and that they feel this burden to change the world because their entire life, they have literally been called world changers. And yet, in our world, what we've done is we have flattened the experience and removed the Holy Spirit from it. We've emptied it all out. <laughs> so what we've done is we have given the burden without the power to do it. Right? We've told them, make the bricks, but you don't get any straw. We've told them, you're going to change the world, but we have not given them the Holy Spirit that Acts chapter 17, verse 6 says, turned the world upside down. And so we've given the burden, but not the power. And that is the exact opposite of how the Holy Spirit works. And this is why he is more important today than he has ever been before. And I believe why there is such a thirst for him. Because we've put the burden without the blessing. We've said do this without giving the one who will actually make it happen. And in this instance, yes, 
we feel a burden, but we also recognize that the Holy Spirit is the one who does the work, that there are burdens for us to carry, but at the same time, the Holy Spirit is the one who actually makes that happen inside of us. So, I would say a few things that I pick up from this. Number one, that is right and good to feel burdens by the Holy Spirit. It is right and good also to trust him to carry more than us. And then finally, more often than we realize, the answer is actually spirit-filled people. Again, I would have expected God to smack Moses upside the head here, right? I would have expected him to come along and say, dude, I'm the one who is carrying these people. And and what God did instead was to show Moses that there is more than just him and that God can move and will move and is moving in all of them. You see, for us, I think sometimes when we come to church, we think, okay, um, I come, and maybe we get it even backwards. Like we think we come to church and what church is, is the pastor layering more and more kind of burdens on our shoulders and we walk out the door, right? And, and that's not at all what it is. In fact, if you heard the Holy Spirit speaking to this church this morning, before the sermon was preached, before the passage was read, he said, if you are heavy laden, if you are carrying weights today, then bring that and lay it down. Bring that and lay it down. And more often than not, yes, the Holy Spirit ought to convict us every time we come in. And yes, he ought to work in our hearts. But how foolish is it to come to the place where you can lay your burdens down and carry those burdens out with you? How foolish is it to carry a heavy weight in and to carry a heavy weight out. How foolish is it when you come and interact with the very God who said, cast your cares upon me, and then to carry them back out? How foolish is that? What if instead we were to lay it down? What if instead God were to show us, I am enough even for you, I am enough even for what you are dealing with? I am enough. And maybe some of those things that we have layered on top of what God has called us to, maybe resentment, maybe we've mistaken our worth for our work, maybe we've layered and layered and layered and layered and that burden has gotten much heavier than it ever was supposed to be. Maybe that's the case. And maybe today God would say to you, come and lay those burdens down. Lay those burdens down. It is not your job to light the room. It is just your job to burn.